0: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: They
2: both started. Okay. Okay. Let's let's start. Suzanne is keeping me to the clock tonight. So, Kay, where's David?
3: See. He is. He can't attend tonight.
2: No. Yeah. Sorry, we missed him. Sorry, we missed him. Um, we need to keep the men here. The, the men are the ones. <laughs> the men are the ones that need it in some ways the most. Uh, I think most of this stuff is intuitive to women in any anyway, But a couple of years ago, when I was teaching, when I first started this course off at um, St. Francis, <laughs> you know, because its focus is well, you know, I mean, it's literature. It's to get to Christ, but it's literature and. Was on it because I used to do the Francis group on Monday nights and Friday mornings. Uh, Friday mornings to coincide with a class, and um, there was a good-sized group, and it was regular. And um, um, anyway, he he came one morning, and after the class, he came up to me, and he how did he put it? He said he? Um, he came up to me, and he said, "Don't you feel strange being so different?" <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the the issue was that a man teaching poetry I don't I don't know what he meant but um but there it is anyway kay I've got you down twice um I'm glad to have two I of you I'm you're I'm glad to have two of you if you'd like to I'm um, just so you know but
0: well, I was having trouble so I had to come back again and yeah. I guess it, it, it shows
2: why? Well does it doesn't mm. here, now does it doesn't. We're o one of them yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's. yeah, you're okay. Everybody's fine. Chuck and Lori, hi. I see your names. I don't see an image, but um, um but anyway, glad you're all here. Let's 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 get started. Um we've gotta finish Winter's Tale tonight. Um, and I, I'm I'm hoping that we can, that I can do this in time and let you guys out on time for a change. I I know I'm not good at that, but, um, Melody, I, with the same with you, I see your initials, so I'm assuming you're here, but we don't have an image. Um, really? Yeah. Huh.
1: I see, her. We see her. Oh, no, you. We can
2: see you. Oh, you can. Oh, good. Good.
3: And we can
2: only see one K. Good. Good. I mean K, don't take that personally. We're glad to have more of you. Um Okay, um Melody. So you can all see Melody? Yes. I can't. Why is that? That's funny. <laughs> yep. Um Did that change anything for any of you? Oops, uh oh. Oh, whoa. There. Oh, and there I am. I I don't want to be up there too. <laughs> One more than I am is too much for me, but um Do you all do you all have everybody here to
4: um Chuck and Lori, I don't see you. Well, uh, it's only Chuck tonight and I'm stuffing my face with noodle soup, and when I'm finished I'll reaper. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to watch that, believe
2: me. Yeah. <laughs> there are times when I, I wish I could make a requirement that anybody who's eating has got to share it with the rest of us, or anybody who's drinking wine or, or margaritas.
1: Margaritas. Has yeah.
2: got to share it with us, yeah. It's good to see did you hear, guys.
0: Did I hear you say that today's National Margarita Day?
1: It
2: is, yes. <laughs> That's Connie and Suzanne. They've just, the two of them created a national, or three of you, I guess. I don't know let's start any any prayer requests it's good to see you guys any prayer requests
3: i'd like to pray for my husband kevin
2: kevin he's married to you he needs prayers
3: amen brother (laughs) he would agree with you but um he uh contracted covid
2: oh gosh Is
3: he's he's feeling better but it really got him down and we're both both fully vaccinated and boosted so we were surprised that it took him
4: as
5: hard
4: as it did but i wasn't going to say anything but say that um i tested positive for covid this morning and uh i too had uh three shots of the moderna i mean it's just really i've had colds that are worse than this honestly but
3: oh good i'm glad you're feeling all right
2: i've heard a lot of people say that melody truly that a lot of people exactly in those words that that they'd um, rather have COVID than a cold. Um, she said her husband had had a
3: hard time.
2: But this is his first day, Kevin's first day with COVID? No,
3: he's actually had it. He was he tested positive last Wednesday, so a week ago tomorrow. And mm. uh, he was laying down in bed and had a horrible sore throat. He's oh, wow. finally feeling better. Wow. Um, oh. Getting back to his normal ornery self, so I could <laughs> tell he's better. on self.
2: Tell him for me he needs that if he for reasons that are obvious here. So you tell, you make sure to give him that message. I will. Okay.
3: Thank you.
2: I came down with a stomach flu after last class and it put me on my back for a couple of, and I was laughing about it today. I think with Connie, cause her daughter came down with something and I was thinking, you know, it's just COVID has so set the world on edge you know, when you get, it's winter, it's a time for getting sick. This is when everybody does get sick. But when people yeah. get sick today, they immediately start worrying about COVID or what's going on or, um, you can't have a normal cold anymore. It's just hard to,
4: anyway. I, I, I would have preferred not to know, honestly, but I wanted to get out, get somebody else sick, so I thought I better take a test.
2: <laughs> glad you did, Chuck. am glad you did. And I'm glad you're doing, glad you're doing okay with it. Any other prayers?
0: Charlotte.
2: Yeah. yeah. Let's start. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, again for the gift of our life from you, um, for the gift of your presence through the day. In these readings over the weekend, you reminded us, through Paul, an extraordinary person you are Paul. Um, That there are two strains working in us. The old Adam from Adam and the new Adam. One is earthly and one is heavenly. We all carry both in us. Um, The heavenly um, lifts us, purifies us, cleanses us. The earthly pulls us down towards old things. Remember those four levels, allegory, Propological, anagogical, and we're called, pulled back to the old person. It's part of who we are. It's in our nature. Strengthen us in our struggles to get free, to give ourselves to the healing that you offer, to get better. Forgive our sins. Pardon us, please, all of us. All of us. Um, I I know, I'm assuming with this group it's super conscientious because it's been doing all this literature for so long. Um, let everything that we've done together strengthen us. Um, Individually, separately, and as a group. I am so glad for the ties we have with each other. Let them be a source of strength for all of us. Um, In your words directly to us, um, um, we're reminded of the healing that you offer us. So... Um, Like the boy, um, blind from birth, and um, we think we see so well because our eyes are fine. Most of our eyes check out fine, but um, if we're honest, we don't see very well often. So um, free us from our blindness, help us to see better than we do, to see through your spirit, your love that we can bring more of you to whatever we see in the world and whatever we're doing. I ask for a special blessing on um, Kevin. Melody is a large generous sensitive heart. She has always brought her prayers here. I'm grateful for her humility and her courage. She and Connie, I'm, I know Connie's carrying something. Um, I'm gonna Say a prayer, Connie, for your kids and your daughter for her sickness. Even though you didn't ask, thank you. Um, watch over her daughter. Um, let her heart be quiet and calm. Um, help Kevin um, recover his health. Um, and through this winter season, and particularly through the next days, next few days in the freeze, um, help us to go slow. Not hide. Not hide. Um, but to take some care. Be with Chuck. Um, <laughs> um, let his spirit know that there's a good in checking it out, that he did it. It was a good thing um, for him to know it. Um, watch over him. Um, help him be careful and be with Lori. Um Ask a special blessing for our own son Christopher and his daughter Charlotte. Um, and their efforts to tackle something not easy be with them both please. Um, Be with all of us Um, Michael and his children, Kay, David Bob, Karen, um, all of us Michael um, we all carry burdens Um, help us to carry them in a spirit of gratitude and um, joy. Um, we know from Boethius, if we didn't get clear on it before, we, we got clear now, there is nothing going on in our lives that God is not turning to good. That is the the central focus of our play tonight. That um, he, He's doing amazing things while these characters go on about their life, e- even doing crooked things like Atolycus. Um, He is always at work bringing some good out of our lives. Help us to see cure our blindness so that we can take a joy when things are hard so that we can see know completely that you are at work doing something. What a great gift to us that you would allow us the freedom to sin and still pick us up constantly so let that be for all of us here Um, we offer these prayers Christ in your name Amen okay let's pick up um, Dry Sauvage's Michael, you're the one who wrote the letter about Elliot, yes?
5: That was me, yeah. yeah
2: I really enjoyed that I'm so glad you did it I mean, I'm glad to hear that. Um,
5: uh, thank you. It reminded me so much of that description of the the Mississippi flood, yeah, back in the twenties.
2: Yeah. Um, I. I sh- <laughs> well, if you want a really good description of the Mississippi flood, Google um, Faulkner on the Mississippi flood, because in in a couple of his works, he does an amazing thing because. You know, as a Southerner, there's a description of it sometimes amazing. And and Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn has some things too, but I'll leave you alone with Elliot. (laughs) I don't want to push my luck here too much. Okay, um, remember that um, last time when we read section two, Eliot um, divided section two into two parts. He has those um, six line stanzas that rhyme with each other. It was um, all beautifully done and um, in in each of those stanzas he was showing the loss of something, the wreckage, the waste, um, to just reinforce the sense that so many things in nature are passing. Everything in nature is temporal here. We're all dying. That was one of the great truths that that, uh, we learned in Hamlet, if we didn't know it before, because remember when Hamlet comes to the graveyard, he meets with uh, uh, with a clown, and he learns that um, the court jester um, that he knew as a boy is, um, he's holding his skull. I mean, that's a piece of real grotesque humor. Um, it's the skull of the man that he loved as a boy, and, and he... Um, he came came in, into his life on the day that he was born. So death has been with him. It's with all of us. Um, it's not a reason for grieving. It's, If anything, it's a reason for being glad and careful. And in the second, um, he has that long reflection on experiences and the uh, realization that that the work that we do is never isolated, that it's a part of a ongoing work and that very often what we start won't be completed for several generations. I tell my kids that, that what we're beginning always um, won't find its completion f- until a time. It just takes that time. We may not be here to see it but that's our faith. Um, um, and, and We came to that line that I'm so glad that Mike responded to the way he did. Um, But the torment of others remains an experience unqualified, unwarned by subsequent attrition. People change and smile, but the agony abides. Time the destroyer is time the preserver. Like the river with its cargo of dead negroes, cows, the bitter apple, the bite in the apple, it goes on, remember. This is um, section three, and it's interesting that as a Christian, um, he's referring to Krishna um, who is the god of um, Hinduism I think. I think it's Hinduism. Um, he's one of the major gods and he's the one that most it's interesting he's the one who most resembles Christ. And he alludes to him here in, um, in section 3. Remember the focus here in Dry Sauvage's Three Rocks Off the uh, Main Coast is um, water and um, things in a state of um, disintegration or decay or being washed away, but always with some sense of being recovered or restored. Things come into being, they pass away. Section 3. I sometimes wonder if that is what Krishna meant, among other things, or one way of putting the same thing that the future is a faded song, a royal rose or a lavender spray of wistful regret for those who are not yet here to regret, pressed between yellow leaves of a book that has never been opened, and the way up is the way down, the way forward is the way back. You cannot face it steadily, but this thing for sure, the time is no healer, the patient is no longer here, When the train starts and the passengers are settled to fruit, periodicals, and business letters, and those who saw them off have left the platform, their faces relax from grief into relief to the sleepy rhythm of a hundred hours. Fare forward, travelers, not escaping from the past into different lives or into any future. You are not the same people who left the station or who will arrive at any terminus while the narrowing rails slide together behind you. And on the deck of the drumming liner watching the furrow that widens behind you, you shall not think the past is finished, or the future is before us. At nightfall, in the rigging and the aerial, is a voice descanting, but not to the ear, the murmuring shell of time, and not in any language. Fare forward, you who think that you are voyaging. You are not those who saw the harbor receding or those who will disembark. Here between the hither and the farther shore, while time is withdrawn, consider the future and the past with an equal mind." Remember, um, here or elsewhere, where are we in these moments? It's absolutely crucial that we see we're not fixed here. We're always a part of an ongoing mystery. We're located here in time and in in another realm, a timeless dimension. At the moment which is not of action or inaction, you can receive this. On whatever sphere of being the mind of a man may be intent at the time of death, that is the one action, and the time of death is every moment which shall fructify in the lives of others, and do not think of it, of the fruit of action. Fare forward, O voyagers, O seamen, you who come to port, and you whose bodies will suffer the trial and judgment of the sea, or whatever event, this is your real destination. So, Krishna, as when he admonished Arjuna on the field of battle, not farewell, but fare forward. Voyagers. I'm going to repeat. I'm going to do four because it's too short and leave. Section four. Lady whose shrine stands on the promontory, pray for all those who are in ships, those whose business has to do with fish and those concerned with every lawful traffic and those who conduct them. It's like those who pray for healing or finding something or, you know, whatever the particular need is, there's always a saint that's um, related to that one thing. So there's always somebody, it's like guardian angels, there's always somebody regarding, watching over every concern that we have as humans. (coughs) And those concerned with every lawful traffic and those who conduct them. Repeat a prayer also on behalf of women who have seen their sons or husbands setting forth and not returning. Figlia del tuo figlio, Queen of Heaven, um, daughter um, of the Son. Figlia del tuo figlio, daughter of the Son. It's Mary. Also pray for those who were in ships and ended their voyage on the land. In the sea's lips, or in the dark throat, which will not reject them, or whatever cannot reach them, the sound of the sea bells, perpetual angelus. Okay, Let's start. Um, Just a quick review of some of the major themes, concerns we've had looking at Winterstale. We've said that art is a form of imitation, and that good art reflects all dimensions of reality. Remember we've said that, that every literal event, every event taking place that's literally before us, that is present to our senses, always contains other levels of meaning. Can we see them? Do we see them? Do we see that what's up front to us, what's immediately before us, is related to some distant reality? Something contained in itself, but that's remote, that we can't see quite clearly. Is God at work? He is. Do we see it? Is our faith strong enough to bear it? Um, one of the... I, um, if, if you've been um, staying close to the readings, I, I think it was this last week, um, when the the Father brought the Son to Christ to be healed, and... Um, and Christ said something to him about his faith, and he, um, I think something to the effect that your faith will restore him, uh, but he was aware of how a lack of faith would interfere because remember there were those scenes in which he returned home and he could perform almost no miracles because they, they thought of him as just an ordinary man, and he grew up there, so familiarity breeds contempt, they just did not, they were not open to the fact that he was gone. So he could accomplish no miracles, or few, because people didn't have faith. So whatever God does is related to how open we are to him. If we're closed or don't believe, we we shut him out. So um, how vulnerable will we allow ourselves to be? How open to him? How much we will offer ourselves? Whatever it is we long for by our faith, it depends so much on our faith itself. So, um, the man's response to Christ was, I do believe, I, he, wa- he loved his son, he wanted that boy healed. I mean, the, just the sort of spirit of desperation you can hear. I do believe, he wanted his son healed. He said, help me in my unbelief. You know, for for all, for, I think for many of us, maybe uh, most of us, I'd, that we all have faith or wouldn't we here? but are there these little pockets of a lack of faith or an emptiness that keeps our faith from being complete. So art imitates reality. It shows us what's right in front of us, but it always does it in a way that makes us aware that something more is going on. Always, immediate. So part of the beauty of what we've been doing is that it makes us aware that more is going on. It helps us to see that in our own lives. I'd suggested last week that all art begins in medius race, in the middle of things. And our whole life unfolds in the middle of things. Every moment is a new in medius race, in medius race, in the midst of things, in the midst of things. There's some new crisis. If we just got to a point where we thought things were settled with our sins, or I mean, sorry, our children, (laughs) they knock us off our seats and we discover something new or you know, whatever it's going to be, Um, or husbands and wives, ourselves, or ourselves to ourselves. How often do our own failures sort of knock us off our own seats? Um,
0: Or our own distraction. Lewis says, life is
2: what happens when you're making other plans. Say it again, Doc. Can you speak?
0: up. Lewis says, life is what happens when you're making other plans. We get distracted making our plans and we don't see life
2: in front of us. Could you all hear Doc okay? Yeah, good. good. Um, Just a second secondary comment on this first one about art being an imitation of life. All art helps us to see ourselves more clearly. We can enter into the story of other people's lives. We can relate to them as we would relate to people we know in our own lives, or we could relate to them um, in the sense of learning to see ourselves in them. So art helps us to see ourselves and each other more clearly. Um, I mean, I've got a serious question today. When we do a Antonius, I really—he's such a rogue. He's—he's he's the Panera. He's the image of the Panera, this mischievous rascal kind of figure. Um, I can't believe most of us don't know somebody like that in our lives. I mean, I, there are times when I suspect that there are a few few of us on this this class that we're doing, who share that. Connie's smiling immediately. So that should should have been a giveaway. Should have been who the the mischievous ones are in this class. And I I don't need to go any farther because you know who I've got in my mind right now. (laughs) Um, Art helps us to see ourselves and it helps us to explore our motives to take a closer look at ourselves, to see what, why it is we're doing what we do, because so often our motives are obscure to us. We don't see them very well. The poet is the one who helps clarify our vision, um, helps us to grow in self-knowledge, and in that sense poetry can help us move to Christ. To the extent that we learn to see ourselves more clearly, we undergo conversions. Our church calls us to constant conversion. A new immediate race, a new immediate race, a new self, a new self. It may not be radically new. We may feel the old self dragging along behind. Um, but every time we suffer, we have a new consciousness. So even if physically we seem to be the same person, something in us is changing, a new life. We're more conscious of something. A new birth is taking place. So literature helps us to clarify our sense of ourselves and each other. And and it does that in a way that helps us to feel things too, even if sometimes the feelings are uncomfortable. Changing is not comfortable. I don't like change. <laughs> As I mean I'm I'm getting the older I get, the more of a stick of a stick in the mud or whatever that. But but it's a part of our lives. Are we open to um, changing, moving moving in the direction of mysteries that we don't fully understand? Tragedy we've seen is always regenerative. Um, remember in Winter's Tale and, and in some of his later plays, Shakespeare's showing us that tragedy was not the end of things ever, even for the pagans, even if they didn't see it. That um, tragedy completes an action that prepares for a regeneration, a restoration, a renewal something that's comic um, and I, I don't think there's another play that does that more perfectly than Wintersdale. I think it's in, it's more perfect in that way than Pericles because Pericles doesn't have a tragic action the way um, Wintersdale does. The whole first part of Werrikle, Pericle, or Wintersdale um, is a tragic action involving Leontes. Everything he does um, ends in disaster. Uh, the loss of his son, the loss of his wife, the loss of Camilo, the loss of um, Paulina's husband. Um, some of the major themes we've looked at, um, the, the blinding character of pride, it, it's 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 saying exactly what Dante said in the beginning of the Purgatorial. Remember the level at the level of pride, anger, and envy, everybody had to struggle with new ways of learning to see. The pride were bowed down. They didn't have the freedom of movement. They had to they had to look, they had to look at their sins. They couldn't turn away. To, to turn away to see the goads, they had to strain their heads under those weights to see the good. They were being forced to see their sins. And I was teaching them humility. Same thing with envy and anger, that each of those levels, the fundamental sin was related to a blindness, that in our pride, in our envy, in our anger, we don't see very well. It's true here. The two regimes, the sophisticated regime in Bohemia, everything that we're going to deal with tonight, takes place in a pastoral world. That's America-suburbia. Suburbia Suburbia is America's attempt to recover a pastoral world. To get out of the city. Why do people go? It's to get out of the city, get away from evil. What do they discover when they get there? (laughs) The evil's there. So Shakespeare's setting those two regimes... The, the sophisticated um, um, Italian regime in Sicilia and the Bohemian pastoral world um, in in Bohemia. The masculine and feminine, the two differences, the, the, the rationalizing intellect in Leontes, it can be present in women, particularly today I think, um, and the nurturing um, quality to women, um, Paulina is a remarkable figure because she's, she's, she's fighting more than those men, but she's doing it for her mistress, Hermione, and that baby. I mean, you could almost not have a more nurturing person. She's so ready to get angry. I mean, I think the critics who see her as losing it just do not understand. She's not losing it at all. She's doing exactly what she should do. She's showing a courage the men don't have. But the courage isn't for themselves or their sense of honor. That is not what men will fight for their sense of honor. We've seen that over and over and over again. Men will fight for the sense of honor, the sort of male ego. That's not what Pauline is doing when she says, anybody who values your eyes, stand back, because she'd scratch them out. That's a woman speaking. But she's not doing it for honor. She's doing it because she loves her mistress, Hermione, and she loves that boy, and she loves this girl. It's a baby. Doesn't have an identity yet. She's fighting for the life of that child. So these two instincts between the man and the woman you know, are brought into stark contrast here in the play. The authority of the fathers, um, Shakespeare shows us once again these contrasts so that we can set them next to each other to get clear on differences. Leontes and Polixenes are two good men. They're really good men. Leontes is a man of honor. In fact, that's probably why things go so bad with him. He's such a good man. When he goes bad, it goes really bad because he is so good. Same with Polixenes, when he loses it with his son. The one father who stands out from that is the shepherd. You know, the the, the father of the clown. And even he, if you if you're reading closely, you know that at the end when Polixenes gets angry with his son and threatens Florizel and he threatens the shepherd. The shepherd turns around and gets really angry at his son. He said, "Why did you do this?" He's a father. He's upset because his son has put, put them in this. I mean, um, the, the, the clown and Perdita have, uh, put them in this difficulty that he didn't want to have any part of. So the authority of the father and its importance, um, in those places where it's vulnerable, Shakespeare never says taken away. Fathers may make mistakes. But it's important to hold on to that authority. You take the authority of the father away, things are going to get worse, not better. Um, the role of art. Autilicus um, um, exploits art. We're going to see that today. I don't want to go into this, but he exploits art. He uses it for his own sake. Contrast Autilicus with um, Paulina. Paulina takes Hermione into this chapel. I don't want to get into this right now, but what she does is the work of an artist. So set Autolycus next to Paulina as images of the poet, what the poet does or should do with his art. And finally, what for me is the most important theme of the whole work is, is this theme of a providential order. Are the gods watching out? If they are, how do we know? We know that they're involved because when um, Leontes sent the the uh, embassy to Apollo's Shrine, they came back with that oracle. Camilo is innocent. Leontes is guilty. Leontes will be without an heir until that which is lost is found. That's Perdita, his daughter. His whole future waits on the... listen to this. His whole future waits on the recovery of his daughter. And it's out of his hands. How's that for a king? I hope everybody's under appreciating Iron. You don't think Shakespeare wasn't aware of the kings in his past, what Henry did and all the people following, or Elizabeth? We've not read a play dealing with a king um, where Shakespeare is not giving a serious critique of authority and power. Until that which is lost is found. He will not have an heir. Think about all the kings who had mistresses to conceive an heir or continue the line of succession. Um, Leontes will be without an heir until that which is lost is found. That's Perdita. And the recovery of his daughter is out of his hands. How's that for a comment on power? Is everybody following? Is everybody okay? Is everybody okay? Is everybody um, Let me stop. Those are, those are some of the major themes we've been touching on here. I want to go to the Sheep Shearing Festival and to the end there are three scenes that I want to really focus on um, because they're they're so rich in meaning and, and they, they all have to do with forgiveness. No, No, they have to do with good and evil, the working out of good and evil in the world. They go, they speak directly to our faith and the struggles every one of us in this class deals with, good and evil, um, and the importance of forgiveness. So let me stop. Any comments or questions on any of those themes? Any observations any of you want to make or Kay, you look like you're meditating. she's Okay, are you with us? No thought anybody have any thoughts here, questions? Some of you look like you're puzzling over something.
5: What you what, what you said Bob about uh Leontes, when after he has destroyed his family and then the uh, the, the oracle of Apollo Uh, declares that as you said uh, it's out of his hands now Uh, this is our this is our lot in our spiritual life when we are when we are uh, when we destroy our soul or when we mar ourselves through sinfulness then it is uh, it's out of our hands to be to be restored. We're, we, we're waiting for, you know, we, we must depend on the action of God to bring us back.
2: I want to qualify. I'm so glad you said that, Mike. Let me jump in here because this is not a small concern for me. Because I think everything in the Protestant world um, drives it to that, resigna- a stance of resignation, it's in God's hands, leave it to him. And that troubles me because I don't think that's consistent with our faith as Catholics. And so let me take a minute with that, if I can. Remember the scene in the Bible where um, the the four friends bring the the paralyzed man through the roof to be healed. Now just take that as an example. That that man needs healing, or they wouldn't have gone to the length that they did, right? But um, but if they just left him, if it was, if he just left it himself, he would still be passive and waited and but his friends took the initiative and did something so the recovery that was offered to him the healing that was offered him was only possible because of what other people did with him so he wasn't left isolated that 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 whole sense of isolation of you know being driven back into ourselves where we just wait for something i mean i think there's such a truth to it but i i just think it's important to also put it in a larger context and so let me, let me go to that here. I, you're, you're sort of getting me ahead of myself, but that's fine. That, uh, um, midway through what we're doing tonight, I want to read that passage where we shift from Bohemia or Bohemia back to Sicilia. And it's there where we see that exchange between Leontes and Paulina, and the lords are urging Leontes to get married again. They're saying, you've got to produce an heir. They're doing exactly what lords should do, whose, whose mindsets are confined to a political world. And they're saying, get married. So all the pressure, imagine the pressure on the English kings to produce an heir. And Paulina, the woman who has no political power, says, you promised. I'm holding you promised. Don't do anything until I'm going to raise a question here, so if everybody could hold off just for a minute. She says to him, do not marry until you have my permission. Okay? So, um... He, he isn't just isolated. Um, there may be nothing he can do, but the the point needs to be made here. Something can be done involving him with the help of somebody else. yeah okay, here's my question you this is you people screw me all up. I've got everything organized here i've got I've got everything lined up and you do this to me okay here's my question um, what does that do for our understanding of political power and how do we understand I don't know how to quite frame the question how do we how do we understand what's happening to political power at this moment by the way just so you know this is in this is act 5 act 5 Scene 1, it's the opening act of scene 1, opening scene of Act 5, sorry, the opening scene of Act 5. Paulina's talking with Leontes and reminding him that he cannot marry. This is about line 70 or so. Um, Star, stars, and all the eyes dead colds, fear thou no wife, I'll have no wife. I mean, she, <laughs> this man is still suffering at the mention of his wife Hermione. He's so ashamed of himself, he, the guilt is still with him. And she knows exactly what she's doing. She's dropping names, and every time she does, he feels wounded. She's not ashamed. the The modern sense of the soul wouldn't do that. She she's not. And um, will you swear never to marry, but by my free love, never, Paulina? So be blessed, my spirit. Then, good, my lords, bear witness to his oath. Now, she, Cleomedes, you tempt him over much. Unless another is like Hermione, as is her picture, affront his eyes. She'll mention the name again. All these lords, I don't, what's the word? Kowtow? I mean, what do you call it? The, they, they give in to him, they accommodate, they rationalize. I mean, think if, if the end of poli- political life is politics, you're going to justify everything you do in terms of your job, work. That's the end for which you do everything. She's not having any of that. These men are saying to her, leave him alone. You do push him too hard. And what she's doing is she's reinforcing the commitment that she asked of him years before. He's not to marry. So what is this doing to our understanding of political power as Shakespeare presents it here? What does Paulina bring to this? To, I mean, to go back to Mike's, that, you know, it's, it's, it's out of his hands. What does she bring to it that's absolutely essential, and how does it change our understanding of politics in this play? Is that clear? You have any thoughts on that? Mike, since you're the one who threw this curve at me, I'm throwing it back to you. You got any thoughts on that?
5: No, I'm prepared to sit here and shut up now,
2: Bob. (laughs) God God bless you guys. That was good. Okay, I'm properly chastised. Okay. Anybody anybody have thoughts on this? Melody, come on.
3: I was going to let Chuck talk. Go ahead, Chuck. I saw you No, really just kind of the screen, so I was just adjusting
4: the screen. I oh, realized that okay. I'm still invisible there for a while. <clears throat> Rephrase <I>, like, that. Please, Bob. I,
3: I feel like um, Congress needs a lot of Paulinas right now. Oh, <laughs>
4: boy I,
5: gotta,
4: I
3: know. I mean, you don't like to talk politics, but this is straight out of the, you know, the last couple of years where there is a leader who thinks he knows everything and doesn't want to hear anybody else's opinion, and, you know, it takes people to come up and and not kowtow like the, like the current people are doing to say, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Let's fix this and, and hold them responsible for their actions. And that's not what's happening. And that's why I think we need a lot more Pauliness
2: <laughs> in, in Congress. Yeah, I, I agree. By the way, I'm just remembering that uh, um, I, without going to one side or the other right now, but I remember a, a woman, I'm not going to name her name, during the hearings, the um, Supreme Court justice hearings, when one of the women who was on the committee then and um, came forward because she was um, supporting women's rights and abortion. But she came forward and said, where are all the men today? And I laughed, I mean it didn't, it, it upset me pretty strongly. Because what she was asking, where are the men who support my view? and my question to her or my question to the whole thing is where are the men today but my understanding of the men today was radically opposite hers right. i mean that's how radically divided the political world is we need people to step up we also need them to have the courage to step when people are not going to like them to to do what's good and truthful and how many people have a sense of that anymore you know in the political world no. Any, anybody anybody else on this question before we go off of it what does what do Paulina's actions do for our understanding of political power? Leontes is the king. She has obligated him not to marry. All the lords are pushing him to marry. They need an heir. Their answer is, the oracle's there. He won't, he won't have an heir until that which is lost is found. And these men are pushing. What's the difference between Pauline and those men? What's guiding both of them? Is the same thing guiding all these men and Paulina? What's the difference between
4: them? I Pauline? think that Pauline is sorry. Pauline is guided by her service to the king, her loyalty to the king, and, and Shakespeare takes pains to make that clear when she subjects herself to him and, and kneels when he reproves her a little bit. So it's very clear that everything she does, she's like a loyal opposition. Everything she does is for his own good, in the service of the king.
2: Melody, did you have you had something to go ahead.
3: No, that sounds that's excellent. Good job.
2: Connie, what have you got in this? What have you got? What are your thoughts? What does Paulina do for understanding of political power?
1: And it's not necessarily political power. How about just humanity? How about, you know, doing what's right um, with, uh, um, you know, between people instead of letting these, you know, the powers that be um, do what they think is right? Yeah. More on a, on a line of, um, Following
2: the, the much higher power, of course, which is God. Name it, punk, Connie. Name that power right now. God. Huh? God. Yeah. I yes. I mean, let's be clear on this. Um, is everybody clear? Everything she does is based on faith. The oracle said. Wait, I want to be clear because this is not. This is one of the major points in the play, and it never gets talked about everything she does is waiting on the gods what's she waiting for does she know is it in her is it in her hands no absolutely not does she know when the babes are going to read we, we already know because of the reading of the play Perdita and, and Florence, uh, Flores are on their way does she know that no well, all she no. knows all she knows is the god said the oracle said he will be without an heir until that which is lost is found what is Paulina waiting for? She's waiting on the gods. Everything she, to she... Is it in her control? Does she know when it's going to happen? Can she say? She cannot. So she's waiting on something that's out of her hands. Is that clear? That is so clearly an act of faith. Think about how radical that is on affecting political power. Is everybody following how radical this is? She has bound him to do nothing until she gives her consent, and she can't do anything until the gods speak. That's not in her hands. So Shakespeare is giving us a really radical understanding of the relationship between political power and faith. And it's Paulina here who's um, leading, and she's serving. She's not doing it for her own ego. She's not doing it for her own sense of honor, right? Right? She's waiting. Is everybody following how radical this is? The, the, the central importance of faith in this book, in this story. Kay, did you have a question? No? Is everybody following?
4: I think we can't ignore, though, Bob, also the fact that uh, an element of the plot, she knows that Hermione is alive. Can't yes, very well if right, carry, she?
2: yes, yeah, and, it, and
4: I'm glad you brought that, it, she's keeping her alive
2: with no sense of a time frame, right. it's not like she can say, I'm going to do this for two years and stop, you know, she yeah. she's keeping her alive not knowing what the outcome or when, I mean, there's an extraordinary, I mean, that's why the, the the fact that her name is Paulina really interests me, mm-hmm. you know, if she's... If her namesake, if she's um, Paul, you know, because what she's doing is extraordinary. She's, and remember, um, Leontes killed her husband. He led him to his death. Does she hold a grudge? Is she trying to get back? Imagine a woman losing her husband to a man. What would most women do, or how would they respond to somebody? doing something that led to the death of their husband. She's an extraordinary, extraordinary creature. And what's amazing to me is the men don't get close to it. Michael, I hope that, I hope, I mean, the question you asked is such a good one. I, I hope this fills it out a little bit.
5: Oh, sure, You know, Paulina, Paulina is the actor there. She's also serving justice, at least at the beginning. You know, she's outraged at at uh, the the plight of uh, Hermione. Yep. And uh, and she's she's uh, the cliche phrase now is speaking truth to power, but uh, she's uh, yeah.
2: No, I agree. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I I'm so glad you brought that. I'm so glad because. The modern Protestant mind tends to separate faith and justice like they're not related, but I think you're absolutely right on. Kay, go ahead. Your audio's not on, Kay. Can't hear you. Is your volume up or your audio on? Can't hear you. Can anybody help you? I don't is your audio is your audio logo on? Is your volume up? I don't know what to do to help. No. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: I see you took your headphones out. Are they still plugged in to your device? No? Okay.
4: On everyone else's screen, I can see a muted microphone, if it's muted, or you see the status, but hers does not show status of a microphone at all. It's like it's not recognizing a microphone or she may need to re. Oh, there it is now.
2: Sorry, Kay, I can't hear you. I really want to hear you, too.
4: Kay, I can't hear you. Try closing out and re-entering, Kay.
2: That good okay. Let's go. Let's go to the beginning of um, Act Four. Act Four um, ends with, um, or the the last part of Act Four ends with the introduction of this new character who's named Octalus. Remember, he's named after um, the son of Mercury. So. Um, and and the, the major figure in literature who's named after him is Odysseus's grandfather. Um, so he, he, his name in carries the meaning of a thief or a rascal, somebody who's cunning, who steals things. And you know that when he's on the road, he, he meets the clown when the clown, the, the shepherd's son, has been sent to the store to get things, goods for the sheer, sheer, um, sheep shearing festival. And Autologus falls down on the on the ground and and pretends as if he's been attacked. And when the clown helps him up, he picks pockets him. He steals his money, so he, he's not going to be able to buy all the goods that he was supposed to bring back for the sheep shearing. Um, um, the clown goes on to the sheep shearing festival, and in Act Four, Scene Four we get the first exchange between Florizel and Perdita and we can immediately see a difference between the two lovers so let's go there act four scene four Florizel these your unusual weeds to each part of you do give a life no shepherds but flora she's the god of flowers appearing in april's font front remember for the pagans everything in nature was understood to have its origins in a god the god of the trees, the god of the flowers, the god of the sky, the god of the oceans. And particular rivers or trees had particular names. He's associating her because of her beauty with Flora. But Flora peering in April's front, this your sheep shearing is as meeting of the petty gods and you the queen on it. Um, Perdita, sir, my gracious lord, to chide at your extremes, is it? It's it. Not becomes me. Oh, pardon that I name them. Your high self, the gracious. She identifies all of the qualities associated with his royal um, bloodline, um, and is embarrassed to compare them because she sees him as being coming from a, high, a higher breeding than their own. Um, he continues to flatter her. And says below, apprehend nothing but jollity. The gods themselves, humbling their um, deities to love, have taken the shapes of beasts upon them. Jupiter, being a bull, bellowed. The green Neptune, a ram, and bull- bleated. And the, all of these gods do these things. Their transformations were never for a piece of beauty rare, nor in a way so chaste, since my desires run not before mine honor, nor my lust burn hotter than my faith. Oh, but sir, your resolution cannot hold when it is opposed. She expresses her worry that if the king ever finds out that her, that his son is wooing her, he will be upset. She carries that nervousness within her. Um, can anybody make any, just on the brief words, I know this is too brief, anybody want to make a, a, just a stab of the thumbnail sketch? What's the difference between the, the two lovers as a young man and a young woman? Who's the more realistic, can you say?
3: Perdita is the more realistic.
2: Why, Melody?
3: Because she understands the consequences if they fall in love. But florizels you know, he's head over heels and he doesn't care. He's going to throw caution to the wind.
2: Yeah, and and in in addition to that, um, she's aware that he, of the extremes of his flattery, she sees how much he idealizes her, that his tendency is to idealize her, and she doesn't chide him. She does, You know, there's not a bitterness here. The two lovers are, um, are exchanging, are expressing their love for each other. But there's a real difference. She's more chaste. She's more real. He's given to extremes. Um, I mean, it would be like him to sit down and write poetry about her. Um... The the all of the shepherds come for the shearing now and included in that group is Polixenes and um, Camilla disguised. Now Perdic comes up as the as the hostess um, of this of this great event and she offers the shepherds and the people there flowers that she's picked from her own garden. She has a love of flowers, and she gives them out. <coughs> About line 70, 70 or so, um, she turns to Polixenes and says, Sir, welcome. It is my father's will I should take on me the hostesship of the day. She turns to Camilo. You're welcome, sir. Give me those flowers there, Dorcas. Reverend sirs, find, find you there's ro- mi- rosemary and rue. These keep seeming and savour all the winter long. Grace and remembrance be to you both and welcome to our shearing. So she hands out flowers that are appropriate to each person, so she clearly knows the character of the flowers, the personality, what's appropriate during a time of year, and how she can match that with the characteristics of people. Polygyny says, Shepherdess, a fair one are you? Well, you fit our ages with flowers of winter. Perdita, sir, the year growing ancient, not yet on summer's death, nor on the birth of trembling winter, the fairest flowers of the season are our carnation-streaked gillivers, which some call nature's bastards. Of that kind are rusty gardens barren, and I care not to get slips of them. She's not going to cultivate flowers out of season. Um, Polixin, says... Wherefore, gentle maiden, do you neglect them? Why? She, for I have heard it said there is an art which in their piedness shares with great creating nature. Now hold on to that phrase. I have heard it said that there is an art which in their piedness shares with great creating nature, that an art can imitate nature. Do what nature does. Polixenes, say there be, yet nature is made better by no means, but nature makes that mean. Man can practice no art that he hasn't learned from nature. So, over that art which you say adds to nature is an art that nature makes. You see, sweet maid, we marry a gentler scion to the wildest stock and make conceive a bark of baser kind by bud of nobler race. You can take two flowers of different species and, um, what's the word? Graft Grafton. them. Graft them, yeah? And you can do that with human beings. You can take somebody... He's saying... I mean, he, what, what he's doing is recognizing that that Perdita seems to be of a lower stock. He, he thinks she's the daughter of the shepherd while his son is noble-born. So in some sense, he seems to be giving his permission to the romance between two people of different social levels. Um, you see Sweet made, we marry a gentler scion to the wildest stock, and may conceive a bark of baser kind, by bud of nobler race. This is an art which does mend nature, change it rather, but the art itself is nature. So it is. Polixenes, then make your garden rich in gillivers. Remember, she said she won't have anything to do with them. So he's making an argument, now it comes to his conclusion, says, then go ahead, plant gillivers, and do not call them bastards. Perdita. I'll not put the dibble in earth to set one slip of them, no more than were I painted, I would wish this youth should say 'twere well, and only therefore desire to breed by me. That as she put on makeup, so she added an art to her beauty, she is no, no more gonna do she's no more gonna plant Gillivers than she would paint herself. Um, I'll not put the devil in earth to set one slip of them no more than were I painted Sorry, um, No more than where I painted. I would wish this use should say, twere well, and only therefore desire to breed by me. And he's only breed by me if I made myself up. Here's flowers for you, not lavender, mint, savory, majorum, the marigold that goes to bed with the sun and with him rises weeping. These are flowers of middle summer. And I think they are given to men of middle age. You're very welcome. She goes on. Now let's stop for a moment. Any comments about Perdita at this point? Describe her as a young woman. Kay, did your, did your voice, did your audio come back on? Have you tried it? You want to try it? It didn't come back on? No. Um, what's Shakespeare doing in this exchange between Perdita and Polixenes?
4: He's establishing Peritas character.
2: Yes. Can you flesh that out a little bit, Chuck? What's, well, the, what, what's the wait? What, let me try. Let me. What's the issue here about art? Because they're both of them are taking a very different position on what you can do with art, what's appropriate and what's not. Because she, you know that this play is very much about art. Attilicus, she's a, she's a um, purist.
4: She rejects. Uh, altering all nature's design, and he says, well, you're part, and I take it slightly different from you, in a sense, I say that, well, man is part of nature, so what you create is necess- necessarily of nature also, she uh, utterly rejects that.
2: Anybody else? Melody, when you start swaying like that, come on, ask or whatever. Her comment.
3: No, I mean, this part honestly confused me quite a bit when I read it. But it I think it shows that she's a confident woman, that she believes what she believes. And these two men in front of her that are obviously, she knows them to be something special. Um, but she's not put off by that at all. She's going to stand her ground. And if that means you know, I am who I am, these flowers are what they are, they're good enough for you,
2: and that's what I took it to Yeah, be. yeah. I think what she's doing, too, yes, and um, And by the way, I, th- I, I, I would only add to that that she does um, um, hold her ground, you know, as you're putting it, but she does it, so there's nothing egotistical or proud about her at all. She does it um, um, with so little self-consciousness, she just she speaks unself-consciously. It's a truth she holds to. She she does she does not want to make a place for grafting, for uh, being artificial. Um, um, she she would no more control. Um, what's the um, Suzanne works in the garden when when bees pollinate. You know when bees pollinate, that's a part of nature. Nature's doing something. She doesn't want to come in and introduce something artificial into what nature's doing. Um, so she will let nature take its place, even though nature itself may do some grafting, because nature can do that. Um, Anne, we missed you. I'm so glad to see you again. Sorry I didn't. We were in the middle of something here, but it's good to see you again. We're talking about the, act, the end of Act 4 in Winter's Tale and looking at as is a young woman and, and this lovely exchange between her and Polixenes just before things are going to explode, just before things are going to break up. Um, the reason I want to underscore this is because, remember, um, Atticus uses art. He exploits it. He uses it for its own purposes. Um, the men are artful. Camilo in a minute is going to, when Polixenes blows up at his son, Camilo is going to say, I've got a plan. He's an artist. He's putting something into effect, right? He's, he's, that is, he's creating an artificial situation to try to answer this response. So the role of art in life, those, those things that we do, art, the question that Shakespeare is leaving us with here is, is what we're doing in accord with nature or not? Because he knows that the artist who created nature is God. So to follow nature, in some ways, is to follow him. Um, So the discussion between Perdita and Polixenes is not a shallow one or just an incidental one. It actually goes to the heart of the whole thing. Um, So he says, why don't you make these gillivers? Wherefore, gentle maiden, do you neglect them? For I have heard it said that there is an art which in their pideness shares with great creating nature. In their pideness, to bring different things together. that Nature will do that. It's as if in her innocence she's trying to protect this great creating nature. What it can do. So she wants to move with that. Um, Polixenes is willing to go out outside of it and bring his own efforts into it to do something himself. Um, Now, it's at this point that Polixenes will speak to his son, and um, Polixenes, or um, Florizel, is going to tell this stranger, he doesn't know it's his father yet, that he's about ready to commit himself to publicly declare their engagement. So he's glad to have him witness it. This is about when oh, Act Four, Scene Four. Um, well, it's going to come in a minute, um, and um, Flor or Polixenes will say to Florizel, "Does your father know about this?" Okay. Now hold on to that because that's when this scene is going to blow up. But bef- before we get there, um, Atolicus arrives act 4 scene 4 about line 250 or so and he brings in all these wares ballads and songs. Perdita says just in keeping with her character the clown comes and asks if he should admit these people to the festival and she says this, forewarn him that he used no scurrilous words in its tune so she knows that ballads can be scurrilous they can be sexually offensive and she's saying none of that here. Is everybody follow? Everybody okay? She's saying nothing scurrilous. There's nothing he does that doesn't, that doesn't have a quality of scurrility if that's the um, on pay or act about act four scene four about line 250 or so. He's pushing these wares. The first ones he wants to offer are ballads, 253 or so. What has to? They're ballads. Pray now, buy some. I love a ballad and print a life, for then we are sure they are true. I I put you to this last week because the women seem particularly um, susceptible to ballads, the romance of them and everything goes along with them. Metallicus. Here's one to a very doleful tune. How a user's wife was brought to bed of twenty money bags out of burthen, and how she longed to eat Adler's heads and toad's Toads carbonated. Uh, she has these strange, exotic tastes, and apparently, she can make money sexually. Um, a user wife. He's probably using her to make money. Mops is a true? Thank you, Autologus is very true, but uh, um, but a month old. <laughs> bless me for marrying a us- Bless me for marrying a user, Autologous. Here's the midwife's name to one mistress Tailporter, and five or six honest wives that were present. Why should I carry lies abroad? Everything he's going to sell is truthful. Pray now, you buy it. So the women are encouraging the clown whom they're after, these two women. I, I think he, there's a, in, um, an engagement between him and Dorcas, but Mops and Dorcas are both playing with him. Um, Mops pray now, buy it. Clown, come on, lay it by, and let's first see more ballads. What else have you got? Here's another ballad of a fish that appeared upon the coast on Wednesday, the fourth score of April, 40,000 fathoms above the water. This improbable, outlandish, um, unbelievable thing occurred and sung the ballad against the hard hearts of maids. It was thought she was a woman and was turned in, into a cold fish, for she would not exchange flesh with the one that loved her. That is, she wouldn't have sex with him. The ballad is very pitiful and is true. They go on. So much of what he will describe that takes place in these um, contains sexual innuendos, almost all of them. Um, Anybody want to comment on what's taking place here between Mopsa and um, Dorcas um, and Attilochus plying his wares? Why does Shakespeare? Let me ask, go ahead. Let me
3: ask a question. So the ballads, I mean, I just thought of them as songs. But are they when he says they're all true? Are they supposed to be like news in song? I mean, are they supposed to be? He's he's trying to sell them as something that's really happened and you and they're unique.
2: There? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's the irony here, though?
3: Are they? Um, no, I mean, they're not, and they're all sexual in nature, so I'm, he's he's trying to um con people.
2: yeah, they're all fabulous, they're all unreal in that sense. I mean, they're describing these stories, but the interesting thing apart about it to me is that um is it is there appeal to women that women seem to feed on these sorts of things?
3: Like um, the old romance novels with the good-looking. Exactly, on the exactly,
2: exactly, exactly, <laughs> Exactly soap okay. op- soap operas, romance. Yes, I mean, in fact, you you, you hit you hit the nail on the- Romance novel, Jane Austen. Anybody you read Jane Austen, you know how critical she is of women and their susceptibility to romances. So, so he's exploiting people here, okay, with these things, and if you go through them, you'll find that a lot, of, particularly like. Um, if you go to 190, when the servant's describing the songs, he says, he has songs for a man or woman of all sizes. No milliner can so fit his customers with gloves. He has the prettiest love songs for maids, so without baudry, which is strange, with such delicate burdens of dildos and fadings, jump jump her and thump her. I mean, he, he can't be more explicit in describing the sexual nature of these ballads, although he's trying to pass them off. But remember, Perdita said, no, don't let them in. And he he's in now doing what he does. Now go to that scene where Polixenes um, uncovers himself. This is about line 400 or so. He's talking with Florizel, who says he's going to publicly announce his engagement to Perdita. And Polixenes says, does your father know about this? And Florizel says he shall not um, He can't know. Um, The shepherd says, let him, my son. This is about line 400. Let him, my son. He shall not need to grieve at knowing. So all three fathers are showing the authority of Leontes, Polixenes here, and the the shepherd says, tell your father. Um, Florzo, come, come. He must not mark our contract. He's about ready to take her. And Polixenes says, mark your divorce, young sir, whom, son, I dare not call. Thou art too base to be acknowledged. Thou a scepter's heir that thou dost affect a sheep hook. That is now, he's not just angry because his father or his son didn't tell him. He's putting down the shepherds when five minutes before he had nothing but good to say about them. They were all good, rustic people. Thou old traitor, I'm sorry that by hanging thee I can, but shorten thy life. He's threatening. So here we see another father with power threatening the father, um, um, for what his son, his own son, is doing, he wants to hang him. And thou, fresh piece of excellent witchcraft, who of force must know the royal fool thou coppest with, oh my heart, I'll have thy beauty scratched with briars and made more homely than thy state. For thee, fond boy, if I may ever know that dost but sigh, thou can no more shall disnack as never. I mean thou shall. He is. All of his words are demeaning. We'll bar thee from succession, not hold thee of our blood. No, not our kin. Um, Fair that um, do off. Mark thou my words. Follow us to court. Thou churl, for tis time, though full of our displeasures, yet we free thee from the dead blow of it. And you enchantments, to her again, worthy enough her, or the son, yea, him too that makes himself, but for our honor therein unworthy thee, if ever henceforth thou these rural latches to his entrance open, or hoop his body more with thy embraces, I will devise a death as cruel for thee as thou art tenderest to it. He's threatening the whole family the father, the son, and um, Perdita. Perdita's response, Polixenes rushes off. Even here undone, I was not much afeared, for once or twice I was about to speak and tell him plainly the selfsame sun that shines upon his court hides not his visage from our cottage, but looks on alike. The, the good, goodness is not um, does not discriminate in who it gives its favors to. The sun shines for everybody. The rain rains on rains on everybody. It's interesting to me that she says this after his leaves, because even though she says she was about to say it, it seems to me Shakespeare withholds it because for her to say that to him would have just intensified his anger but it shows the best part of her again that she has this natural knowledge this realistic sense of things to herself um, now here I want I'm gonna I'm gonna um, any any questions or comments at this point I want to get to the end of this scene to ask the what to me are the really crucial questions about this scene but any. Questions about what's going on um, at this point or how Polixenes distinguishes himself as a ruler by what he does. His son, Floriza will go on to make clear that he, he, he makes clear to his father, he will give up everything. He will give up his throne to follow Perdita. He will not let the lure of power or reputation or recognition keep him from his love. That's part of what offends Polixenes, so we know the young boy puts love ahead of political power, and it's when Polixenes rushes off that that uh, Perdita and uh, Florizel decide together to run off. This is where Camilla will come in. But let me stop here. Any comments about the scene or what's going on, or and in some way how it, how it it's 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 not an exact parallel what happened between Leontes and his family, but once again it shows the um the danger of a father's authority when it's um, um, buried or fused with political power when a man has great power the the temptation is to um, to abuse his power to overstep its limits any and he, the fathers are being fathers. It seems to me they're doing what they should do. The, the fault is that they, they, they're both given to extremes. Um, it's certainly true here with um, Polixenes. His quickness to, to move from complimenting Perdita because she's such a gracious woman to calling her a witch and then threatening her father, the man that he thinks is her father, with his life and the son so immediately the the pastor, the shepherd, the peasant family their lives are put at risk. Any comments or questions here? Okay, let let me just give a quick description of what takes place and then I'm gonna ask what to me is one of the most important questions in the... You know that uh, um, Florzel and Perdita um, agree to run off. They're gonna flee. Um, Flor Florzel is willing to give up his heritage, his claim on the throne because he loves this young girl. They're not gonna let what's just happened keep them from marrying. Camilo sees an opportunity now and let me Let me put this as clearly as I can. Um, One of the wonderful things about Camille reminds me of uh, Paulina in some ways. Paulina to me is a more extraordinary figure, but he reminds me of Paulina. Um, He's opportunistic, just like the gods. And I want to use that word as positively as I can. The gods are opportunistic in the sense that they will not lose an opening for them to do what they can do, yeah? Gods don't determine us Calvin's got it all wrong we are not we, God's do everything The God our God does everything he can to protect our free will but also do things that can help us that we can't do ourselves that's one of our understandings of God yeah I think you would all agree wouldn't you mm-hmm. Camila's being opportunistic here he's he's because remember the this scene open, with his telling Polixenes that he'd heard from Leontes, Leontes wanted him back. Leontes was repentant, he regretted what he did, he misses his servant, he wants to make up to him. He's he's showing all the signs of a good king, a repentant king. And Polixenes says, don't leave, I need you here. Now Camilla sees an opening for him to return, that he can manage things so that he can send Florizel and Perdita to Leontes with a letter um, um, that will help them get into the good graces of Leontes because Leontes is not going to know either one of them. He doesn't know that this is a daughter. So he's, he's making this plan to do everything he can to get around Polixenes' wrath and um, get the approval and support of Leontes. Okay? Um, and it's at this point that Atalica shows up again, and Camilo says, "Let us have your clothes, be, um, because he's got on better-looking clothes, and um, or or poverty clothes, and he can he he can exchange those clothes and give um, Florizel and Perdita the clothes of a rustic, so they can be in disguise when they go to the ship. Okay. So they exchange clothing and. Now that Atollicus is dressed up because he's wearing um, Florizos' clothing, the clothing of a prince, he sees the shepherds and he takes advantage of the moment um, because they want to go to Polixenes and show Polixenes all these things they discovered when they first discovered Perdita as a baby, this treasure chest with the letter and the jewels and everything. Um, because their assumption is that if they bring those, the king will see that Perdita is not their daughter or, or sister, and they won't be um, they won't be under threat anymore. Right? The, the Pelicians won't be angry and threaten them with their lives anymore. So they want to take these things and show them to the king. Is everybody okay? Mm-hmm. So Autolicus, um sees an opening. He's got these better clothes on, and he plays the part of a noble. And he says he was once um, in the service of the prince himself. He lost it because he was scurrilous in some ways, I'm sure. Um, but I want to focus on these lines. So he, he's now doing things to create a plot of his own, like an artist. Now he's arranging a plot that will get the, the, the two shepherds, the father and the son, to the ship with Florizel and um, Perdita, off back to Cecilia, to Leontes. Okay? And there's this line. Um, 6.85 or so. Act 4, scene 4, 6.85. The shepherd says, I will tell the king all every word, yea, and his son's pranks too, who I may say is no honest man, neither to his father nor to me, to go about to make me the king's brother-in-law. Um, the The plain common sense of the peasants is always sort of remarkable. Um, the clown says, Indeed, brother-in-law, was the farthest off you could have been to him. And then your blood had been the deer by, I know not how an ounce. Atalicus, very wise puppies. Well, let us to the king. There is that um sorry there is in this ampharda um, will make him scratch his beard. Um, the shepherd says, I know not what impediment this complaint may be to the flight of my master. Clown, pray heartily he be at palace. Autologus, though I am not naturally honest, I am so sometimes by chance, let me pocket up my peddler's eckerman, his false beard, and he reveals himself. How now, rustics, whither are you bound? He says he was once a courtier, and he can help them, um, and... Devises this plot to get them on board the ship. So instead of they're going to the king to reveal all these, these notes in his treasure chest, they're going to be sent on board the ship with the prince. Now stop for a moment. Though I'm not naturally honest, I am so sometimes by chance. How now, rustics, whither are you bound? But explain what's going on and why this scene is important. Let's go back a step. Why, why does Shakespeare put autolycus in this bohemian setting? Why is it important that he be here at all? And then the next question is, what's he doing at this point? How do we understand what he's doing and why he does it? What's going on? He stands as a... You.
0: Sorry. He stands as a contrast.
2: Can you all hear Suzanne? You speak up, Tom.
0: He stands as a contrast between himself and the sort of um, scurrilous, roguish underbelly of the peasant life and Florizel and Perdida.
2: Wait, go start over again. He He's a Tolikus. Yeah. He stands as a contrast to himself?
0: No, it stands as a contrast between himself and Perdida and Florizel. They are genuine, sincere, they love each other. Um, He is sneaky and a con man and a rogue taking advantage of everybody. Um, So there's that contrast. Between, so that the peasant life in Bohemia doesn't come off as looking like a perfect peasant life,
2: right? Pastoral world. Did everybody hear that? Could everybody hear Suzanne? Yeah. Is everybody clear? I think that's really important. It's way. It's Shakespeare's way of showing that evil is always present. That the that the pastoral world. The, in a, if I can use the parallel the suburban world in America, which is America's attempt to flee the city, that the pastoral world always has evil there. There's, It's always at work. Um, you can't create a utopian world. We're fallen creatures, all of us. That's fundamental to our belief. I believe Shakespeare is a Catholic. People are going to argue with me on that. But, but evil is always there. There's no such thing as a pastoral world. We can't create it. We're fallen. We, I mean, the whole play is full of the truth of that. People try to do good all the time and end up doing bad. Deleontes is probably one of the best examples in the literature of that. He's a really good man. What he ends up doing is, um, and, and the goodness of him shows in his repenting. He's really sorry for what he did. He, this is a long winter's tale. He's been enduring a penance this whole time. So one of his functions is to show that evil is always present. The man has to deal with it. But what do we make of this moment here where he says what he does? Um, <laughs> he's not used to being honest. Though I'm not naturally honest, I am so sometimes by chance. He takes his disguise off and he reveals himself and then he sets up this trick to get the, the two shepherds, the father and son, the shepherd and the clown, on board the ship. Um, why, what is Shakespeare doing? With Autolycus. This is an important scene, I think. Or let me put it differently if this is to how does he illustrate a truth from Boethius? He's a perfect illustration of a truth from Boethius. I hope it's clear there's not anything that Shakespeare does that isn't deeply informed by Plato, Aristotle, Boethius, you know, all of them. But particularly Boethius here.
1: So basically out of his evilness is going to come some really good stuff. (laughs) Towards the end, just like he said.
2: Does everybody see that? You know, because we can live in a world, I mean, what, I, Melanie's description a while ago was so faithful to my own view of the world and politics. I mean, we may share, we may differ on political, I don't know where we are, but there's not a question in my mind or hers, or I think most of us, that the America is in a bad way and what's happening now is not the result of the last 10 years. It's the result of the last 75, 80 years of a of a, of a utopian swing. It's trying to create a Good world. Um, um, How does this illustrate a truth of Boethius? About the, the workings of evil in the world.
0: There is no bad fortune.
2: Can you want to flesh that out, Doc?
0: Well, it's like Connie said. Here's this evil man. And you'd think that he would be... Well, he's not really evil...
2: Um, mm-hmm. Can you all hear, Suzanne?
0: Here's this yes. <laughs> scurrilous person who's looking out for himself, um, and you would expect it to be bad news. But but there is no bad fortune. There's good to come out of of anything.
2: Yeah. And it's inter- I mean, the circumstances have put him in a position of having to be honest, or, or um, um, doing something to his advantage, his advantage by being honest. This is a guy who's who's used to doing everything dishonestly. So, and this is out, straight out of Boethius. That very often people are forced to become good in order to achieve the end they want, when their end was evil. Um, he's not an evil man. I, I, I think, I agree with he's not, but he's, he's scurrilous, a rogue he uses people but here the, all of those qualities are being turned so th- the point I want to make here for all of us is that it's hard for me to believe that most of us aren't aware of certain people around us in our community, our neighbor, wherever it's going to be maybe in our family, I have no idea and our response to them is I wish that guy were out of my life Or that woman or you know but here Shakespeare's showing us that one one of the in fact probably the most scurrilous figure in this bohemian world um, is actually doing something that now is going to help promote a good end so I think Connie was right on that very often remember this is straight so it, it asks us to be careful of our judgments of people. That's where I wanted to go. Is everybody clear? Because it's so yeah. easy for us to see people doing bad things and stop there. We learned from Paulina, the answer isn't to be quiet. She does not, she, Paulina never resigns herself. She never gives up. If there were something bad going on, she would confront it. But, but I don't see her doing it the way Polixenes did or Leontes. You know, she, she does it in a wisdom. She does it in a good way. Um, Perdita and Florizel want to run away. They're trying to escape this evil. Something Camilo is doing is going to move them towards Leonte, and now even Atili- Atollicus is doing something that's going to help make for a greater good at the end. So he's doing a number of things in this bohemian world. He's showing this bohemian, the beauty of it, the, how, how it contrasts to a sophisticated mercantile, we can say it in in a mercantile center, New York, Los Angeles, wherever you're going to go, <coughs> Atlanta. Um, he's showing us contrast between two worlds and showing us that the, that the bohemian pastor world gives off the illusion of a goodness that it, that's real, but in some ways flawed. Polixenes is a king. He's the king of that world. He blows up. I mean, he loses it. We see the same failure in authority that we saw in Sicilia. So, a bohemian world, a past world, can't escape our faults. We see it in Polixenes. We see it in a- Autolycus.
0: does good in spite
2: of himself. Say again, Doc.
0: <coughs> Autolycus does good in spite of himself.
2: Do everybody hear, Doc? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, let's let's go to the end. You know that all the lords, or here in Act Five, Scene Act Five, Scene One, this is where Paulina takes on all the men again. Dion says, "If you if you would not do so, you pity not the state nor the remembrance of his most sovereign name. If you won't remember that, remember the queen." And other, I mean, they're doing everything they can to persuade her out of it. Um, and she says down below about line forty. "'Tis your counsel, my Lord, should do the heavens the contrary, oppose against their will." Everything they're doing, she knows, is against God. Yeah? How could she do that unless her faith guided her? The oracle has spoken God's word. She's taking that on faith, and she's calling them to account because what they're doing puts them clearly against God i I can't say that strongly enough is everybody clear? I'm not reading in this is the play <clears throat> she's pretty she's pretty amazing and then she um reinforces this you know in the lines that I read earlier about eleven seventy so will you swear never to marry but by my free leave Leonte's never Paulinus, so be blessed my spirit, and he has learned to curb his will as a king if Paulina's return, and he returns to power as a king, he will be a good king, because he's learned to curb his will. Is everybody following? Okay. Um, uh, we get a report of the, of the reconciliation. Um, Paul, uh, um, Pauline, or Perdita <coughs> and Florizel come before and present themselves to the king. Um, and um, there's just an overjoy at the, at the reconciliation. Act 5, scene 2. It's interesting that, sh- that Shakespeare does not present this dramatically. He presents it in a narrative. The two lords are describing what happened. That's interesting. He doesn't play it out dramatically by having the characters talk in their own voices. People, are, supposed- people are describing it. Sorry, I go was, ahead. What?
1: I was really disappointed. What? Well, really? <laughs>
3: Agreed. Why? Yeah, why did he do that?
2: Okay, stop. Good. Why? Well, I didn't know I'd do t- I'm glad for you. You guys, tell me why. Why did Shakespeare do this? <clears throat> Wait, let me read from just I a few lines. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Act 5, Scene 2 The Lords. <clears throat> Atollicus, I would have gladly known the issue of it, gentlemen, make a broken delivery of the business, but the changes I perceived in the king and Camilo were very notes of admiration. They seemed almost with, seemed almost with staring on, on one another to tear the cases of their eyes. There was speech in their dumbness, language in their very gesture. They looked as if they had had heard of a world ransomed or one destroyed. A notable passion, wonder, appeared to them go down, nothing but bonfires, the oracles fulfilled, the king's daughter is found, such a deal of wonders is broken out within this hour that ballad makers cannot make. Now remember the other ballads, because all these other ballads were fabulous, but they were not true. This is the extraordinary thing. Shakespeare's written a play about a woman who did all this other stuff that ballads claim these women do that did not happen, but Paulina did. Will anybody see this? Will a ballad be written about her? No unless it's Shakespeare's play. But here, so so, the, the the gentleman, did you see the meeting of the two kings? Gentlemen, no. Then you have lost a sight which was to be seen cannot be spoken of. There might have been held one joy cra-. It goes on and on. There isn't enough words to describe it. We're about to go to the chapel to end the play, but for a moment we get a description. Now, so I'm glad that uh, this is really interesting. You guys tell me, those who are Connie, Melody, yeah. particularly the Actually, two of you. Why were you upset, I, I, Connie? Why did Shakespeare do this?
1: Well, I don't know why he did it, but I, what he should have done was have, <laughs> <laughs> was
2: have What he a She say what he should. She telling Shakespeare what he should have written. <laughs> oh, bless and your soul.
1: And per, her to meet on their own, not through you know, <laughs> this this other party. It was. I don't. know, I was just very disappointed in that.
2: All I can I'm, I'm saying this, I'm saying there this.
1: There's so, really a good reason, but I have no idea why. But.
2: I, I'm, I'm so enjoying this, and I I, I mean, you're brilliant. That so you guys would have even felt that to me is crucial. But um, why did okay okay let let's put it why did Shakespeare since Connie says he shouldn't have done this, he should have. Why did Shakespeare do this stupid thing? <laughs> <laughs> why did he make this mistake? Somebody straighten it out. Why did he do this?
4: Why did he obscure this fantastic scene? No,
2: no, no, where? no, he, no. Not, he makes it really clear. But he's, he's presenting it through a narrative. He's not presenting it as a drama. We don't get it enacted. I mean,
4: Connie and Melody are right well, on. My question this is why? Consider, huh? watching this, consider watching this play and you get to see it. Now, how do you view the final scene where they see Hermione come alive? They would have taken all the wind out of it. I,
2: I think that's, is everybody clear? I think, what if he had done this dramatically and then got to the end? The question is: Would it? Would it not? Here, Connie. Could, I'm so, You know, I'm looking forward to the day when you, when you meet Shakespeare in the afterlife. I'm not kidding, because you're you're gonna have you're going have hard words to say to Shakespeare, and I want to be there when they take place. Um, do you all see that it would have diminished the effect of the end? That's
1: true. Because
2: yeah. this this is an amazing moment. To put it in narrative is a way of. Increasing the action in preparation for an even greater moment. Because if he had presented the wonder here, we still would have. He's too great an artist. He could have done this, Connie. You know, I mean, he's too great an artist. Why did he not? I think he didn't because he didn't want to do anything. He want, he wanted to make the wonder as fully present as he could, without diminishing the end.
1: That's true. I, I can see that.
2: Well, I'm sorry if I took your words away from what you had to say, because I would love to be there present when you mute him.
5: <laughs>
2: Let's go to the end quick, because we're a little bit later than I wanted to be. So everybody follows the the shepherd and his son, Atolicus, have arrived. Perditan, Paulina, Camilo. This moment of great reconciliation has taken place, and it, it's important to say, the shepherds have been elevated. They're now nobles. Remember the lines between Polixenes grafting things. Graf- Here, this is so crucial. Grafting things or great creating nature. Could let me put it this way: Could any one person have choreographed this ending? Does everybody see that what's happening is not just the result of one person putting a plot in motion, like Camilo or Atolycus, that what's happening is a product of different people doing different things that's going to lead to this extraordinary outcome? Polixenes was defending somebody doing something artificially. Perta was defending the position, let great created nature take care of itself so there's a tension between those two positions yeah. and what we're seeing at the end is it's like a working out of the tension between those two positions you got Camilo trying to do something good you've got a Attilochus who's, who's not used to being good who's still being a liar but he's having to be good in a sense in which he's never been before in order to carry this off so it's like all these ga- these fields of action are gathering and moving us towards this one point. And I've got to make this point here. I hope everybody's clear. Once again, it's the poet who sees this, who's helping us to see it, and leaving us with these questions. Do we see that that's very often going on our lives, but we're blind. He's helping us to see something extraordinary. Let me go to the end just quick. Um, Paulina has invited everybody. remember we learned this from the uh, from the narrative too that Paulina has invited everybody to this chapel to displace something she's done, right? That's a part of the narrative. We're going to get there. So in Act five at Act three, Act 5, scene three at the end, we're in the chapel. And everybody's there looking at this covered statue. And then Paulina um, reveals it. Act 5, scene 3, about line 19. Prepare to see the life as lively, mocked as ever, still sleep, mocked death. She's going to show... uh, Wait, what she... Don't lose this. What she's doing with her audience is what Shakespeare is doing with us. He's taking us to a moment of wonder that deals with forgiveness and love, um, which is what Paulina's doing. I mean, we've been, doing, we've been watching Shakespeare do this play after play after play. Yeah? Um, he says, prepare, behold, and say 'tis well. Paulina, she turns around. Um, I like your silence. It's the more shows off your wonder. But yet speak first you, my liege. Comes it not something near? Leontes looks at the statue of his wife and is stunned because it's so lifelike. I I hope you're all hearing me. Is not what Shakespeare's doing the same? That when we read it, it feels so lifelike that we enter that world through art? And remember, hold against this bad art because bad art will not do this. Cannot. He looks at it and says, Chide me, dear stone, that I may say indeed thou art Hermione, or rather thou art she in thy not chiding. For she was the tender as infancy and grace, but yet Paulina, Hermione was not so much wrinkled, nothing so aged as this seemed. <laughs> Is everybody following? I mean, she can't. She's showing her age. How, how many years have passed? That's the quiz for tonight.
4: Sixteen. Sixteen Pretty
2: years have passed, yeah. Leontes go down and now she might have done so much to my good comfort as it is now piercing to my soul. Oh, thus she stood even with such life of majesty, warm life, as now it coldly stands. When first I wooed her, I am ashamed. Does not the stone rebuke me for being more stone than it? O oh, Roy... Just think about how important these lines are. Let's say sh- Shakespeare took us in and Paulina took the cover and said, here's your wife. Would it have done it? If Shakespeare had rendered the reconciliation scene dramatically instead of putting it through narrative, would it have done it? When you're watching an artist amazing at his work, does not the stone rebuke me for being more stone than it? O royal peace, there's magic in thy majesty which has my evils conjured to remembrance and from thy admiring daughter took the spirits standing like stone with thee and give me leave, and do not say to superstition that I kneel and then implore her blessing, lady, dear queen, that ended when I began. She knows this is her mother. Um, she kneels and asks for her blessing. God, I mean, watch this moment. If this doesn't, if this isn't a description of the approach to paradise, I don't know what it is. Give me that hand of yours to kiss, Paulina, O oh, patience. The statue is but newly fixed, a colour's not dry. Camilla, my lord, your sorrow was too sore late on, which sixteen winters cannot blow away, so many summers dry, scarce any joy did ever so long live. No sorrow, but killed itself much sooner. Dear my brother, let him that was the cause of this have power to take off so much grief from you as he will place up in himself. Indeed, my lord, if I had thoughts, the sight of my poor image would thus have weight upon you, for the stone is mine, I'd not have, shut, <laughs> and have not have showed it, God. Leontes, do not draw the curtain, no longer shall you gaze on it, lest your fancy may think it none moves. Let be, let be, Would I were dead, but that methinks already. What was he that made it? See, my lord, would you not deem it breathe? And that these veins did verily bear blood. He's getting closer. You can see. He's. Th- this is that moment of amazement. That is the precondition of conversions. That we have these moments, and something happens, and um, the fixture of eyes has motion in it. As as we were walk- mocked with art, Paulina. I'll draw the curtain. My lord's almost so far transported that he thinks and on it lives. Oh, sweet Paulina, make me to think so 20 years together no settled senses of the world can match the pleasure of that madness. Let alone um, do Paulina, she says, um, she says I can afflict you farther. Do Paulina, for this affliction has a taste as sweet as any cordial comfort. This is like the moment in Pericles, you know, when he says um, cut me, Remember, he turns to his um, his mate mm-hmm. and says, "Cut me, so he won't be overwhelmed by the joy because it's too much." Um, Do Paulina for this affliction as a tease, as sweet as any cordial comfort. Still, methinks there is an air comes from her. What fine chisel could ever yet cut breath? Let no man mock me, for I w- for I will kiss her. Good, my lord, forbear. The readiness upon her lip is wet. You'll mar it if you kiss it. Strain your own, stain your own with oily painting. Shall I draw the curtain? No, not these 20 years. So long could I stand by? a look her on. Um, and then she says, go down. But then you'll think, which I protest again, I am assisted by wicked, by wicked powers, if she does any more with it. Lante says, go ahead. Paulina at that moment says, which to me is a crucial moment in the approach to an art, And holiness that's embodied in the art. Um, He says, do what you can do. Paulina says, it is required you do awake your faith. Then all stand still. Or those that think it is unlawful business I'm about, let them depart. If anybody thinks that law and love are not together, leave. Everything she's doing is accord with law and love and faith. She doesn't separate them. It is required you to awake your faith and all stand still, or, or those that think it's unlawful business I'm about, let them depart. Everything she's done is lawful. Shakespeare does not separate justice from mercy. They belong together. Proceed, no foot shall stir. Paulina music, awake her, strike once again, we've seen this before. In moments like this, they never take place without a music in the background because Shakespeare knows that these moments put them in harmony with the music of the spheres, with God's order. There's no way to do justice to them except in something poetic, something musical. "'Tis time to send," she says. "'Be stone no more. Approach, strike all that look upon with marvel. Come, I'll fill your grave up. Stir, nay, come away." Bequeath to death your numbness, for from him dear life redeems you. You perceive, she stirs. God, Hermione comes down. Start not, her action shall be as holy as you hear my spell is lawful. Do not shun her till you see her die again, for then you kill her double. Nay, present your hand when she was young, you wooed her. Now in age, is she become the suitor? It's a, as, as gracious a push as I've ever heard in literature go to her. Leontes, oh, she's warm. If this be magic, let it be an art lawful as eating. Polixenes, she embraces him. Camillo, she hangs. Polixenes, and make it manifest where she has lived or how stolen from the dead. Paulina, that she is living were it but told you should be hooted at like an old tale. But it appears she lives... Though yet she speaks not, mark a little while. Please you to interpose, fair maiden. Kneel and pray your mother's blessing. Turn, good lady, our perdita is found. Imagine this moment for husband and wife, husband and wife, parents and daughter, a father and his daughter, a mother. She's not seen her daughter in 16 years, neither has. So imagine what goes through her heart Or Hermione's heart at this moment. Um, Turn, good lady, our perdita is found. Hermione, you gods look down and from your sacred vials pour your graces upon my daughter's head. Tell me, mine own, where hast thou been preserved? Where lived? I, I don't know of another play in which the marvelous is so real. It's the fabulous, it's the marvel. It's what went on in all of Autolycus's ballads, but they were unreal. They were just abusing Here we're seeing what takes place in ballads that that artists exploit. Here we're seeing it actually unfold. Where lived, How found thy father's court, for thou shalt hear that I, knowing by Paulina that the oracle gave hope, that thou wast in being, have preserved myself to see this issue. What has always been at the source of this play is faith, hope, and charity, and the power that they can have on putting curbs on political rule is that clear mm-hmm. faith hope and charity supernatural virtues are being offered as a, to help curb political power this could not be more christ-like more christian paulina there's time for enough for that less the desire upon the go together you precious I, <laughs> I, an old turtle, will, will wing me to some withered bow, and there my mate. that's never, I love Leonti's words, O peace, Paulina, thou shouldest a husband by my consent, so he, he puts Camilo and Paulina together, and they will be married, and for out there, um, let me stop, um, what are your thoughts about this last scene? Um, Does everybody see how radical it is in the limits it puts on political power? The, the role of the artist. What Shakespeare is doing, this is absolutely Catholic, you can go back to Michelangelo, you can go back to Dante, you can go back to all the great Christian artists. This art is working in, in tandem out of our faith. And it's directly dealing with the issue of political power and how it how it's used or abused. Is that clear? That, he, that and, and In a sense he's showing how important art is to political power. And ima- imagine how many other forms of art would only add to a, 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 a political state's corruption. The wrong kind of art would would feed it the wrong way. I mean think think if think the art that an artist did followed the line of Shakespeare's lords when they were all saying, have an heir, get married. What art would that have produced? This art, at the center of this art, is the crucifixion, the dying to self, and the resurrection of a self. The power of faith, hope, and charity to, to bring into the human soul transcendental values. Faith, hope, and charity in a way that gets played out politically in the lives of people. Is this clear? Is it? Is that clear? Anne, you look like you've got some questions.
3: Just thinking, no real questions.
2: Bob, Karen? Karen, what's your response to the scene?
0: The politics of the scene? I mean, do the no
2: anything? I'm asking what's your re- just no. Just forget my question. I'm asking what's your response to the scene? How did what was your how do you what's your response to it?
0: Well, it was sort of like a resurrection, and um, it took faith to see it. it. Took faith to get there to see it, and. I don't know, it was just beautiful love.
2: Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Michael?
5: I'm, uh, I just have to say that, and, and this was my, This has been my feeling about sh- reading Shakespeare all along, even going back to high school. I, and, and watching the performance uh, online uh, of The Winter's Tale. It makes all the difference to me because when when I read the drama, when I read the the script of Shakespeare, I don't I don't hear the stage direction or the emotion in the in the actors' faces yep. and their yep. their uh, their body language, their their gestures, and, and it, it brings it all home to me to see it performed.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. By the way, those of you who have not wit or seen experienced the BBC production, the BBC production is. Yeah,
1: very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. But this um, this part on um, when her, her, Hermione's coming alive—it was almost like I I didn't need to see it because it was so powerful. Just reading it, actually, this time, this is probably the only time. Yeah. <laughs> that actually, when I read it, it, was like, man, it really was kind of like being there. Wow. It was really good. Yeah,
2: I'm glad you said that. What what you just said reminds me of uh, that follow up scene. Between Christ and the disciples, when Thomas appears and and he says he wouldn't believe until he put, and then he, Christ comes again a week later, you know, and right. he says, "I do believe." Um, I, I'm glad you said that because I I, I agree with Michael. I mean, I, I dramas should be seen because they involve all, all of our senses, and words have a body, a gesture, a music that I mean, so much more goes on in stage. Um, so it just adds a lot, but I think it's hard to come to this passage when you read it and not just be overwhelmed with wonder. Um, Melody, you got any last thoughts?
3: Well, I did not watch the BBC production yet, and so when I was reading this, being the practical person that I am, I was thinking that Paulina had just Basically hidden Hermione away for all these years, yeah, and then staged yeah. her as a statue. But you know, and and said, don't accuse me basically of witchcraft because you know, because good good is going to come out of it. But then reading it again, you know, bequeathed to death your numbness. Um, was was she supposed to have been statue like for sixteen no, years? No, no, she's okay. Been
2: what? Yeah, her age, the wrinkles in her face. Okay. And, and she, her words, remember the words that I read when she said, um, um, oh, For thou shalt hear that I, knowing by Paulina that the oracle gave hope, thou wast in being, have preserved myself to see this issue. Okay. I mean, just the, these lines only strike and um, reinforce the contrast that I mentioned between men and women earlier. It's the two women who live by faith and hope right. and love. That Paulina could have gone to court, faced those lords every day after, after her own husband was killed. That she could have gone to court, I, I just can't say enough about this play. Um, that she could have gone to court and, and held those lords off without blowing up without moving an inch, and still being kind to Leontes and holding him to his pledge for 16 years. Both of those women lived... I mean, a long winter's tale is is that period... This is Dante's Purgatorio. This is a long period of repentance for everybody. Can you imagine the women doing that without suffering in some way? Will it ever happen? Is it going to come? Is this all futile? You know, right. th- year by year by year, is this futile? Are what we're doing is okay? Are we being, you know... Those are the questions that reason asks. But the amazing thing here is what clearly motivates them is faith, hope, and charity. Okay. They heard the oracle. They're putting their hope in the gods. Do they have control? This is so amazing. Do they have control over it? Absolutely not. All they can do is hold on in hope that the gods were there. They must be there somewhere else. They're waiting. They're hoping. They're loving. So like the
3: Brady Bunch, they had to keep on keeping on until something good happened.
2: I don't, I don't know the, but <laughs> but yes, if that's it.
3: Bob, didn't you watch TV back then? <laughs> no. I,
2: I, I, yeah, no. I did, but I did, but not a lot of those things. <laughs> Actually, I, I can't. Aussie and Harriet or I can't. I mean, back then we were so young, and um, I think I, I outdate you a little bit, Melody. I was probably there watching. Some of those programs before, but sure I did I mean you know that i I mean I watch a lot of movies, and it it's harder for me to watch anything under serial because t v it there's just so little good in what's going on in movies or television today. It's just
3: well, reading about uh Telelichchu can't remember how to say his name. I just watched a movie called St Vincent. It's been out for a while, but it has Bill Murray in it, and he's uh character that just seems like he's the worst kind of guy on the outside but when you get to know him you understand all the good things underneath yeah. and that kind of reminded me of that character yeah. so uh, if you haven't seen saint vincent okay. with bill murray it's okay.
2: really good okay <laughs> suzanne and i are we it's just i'm so guarded about movies today because they're they just are so bad but we've gone back to a number of old favorites of ours and we were watching grumpy old men and Grumpy, I don't know if any of you've seen Grumpy Old Man or Grump, but they're they're just delightful comedies. Um.
0: You know what um, got to me on this was I kept thinking, well, the aunt has seemed to have um, come to his senses and been very contrite about things a long, long time before they actually found Perdita, and it must have been a very hard waiting that long. To make this happen, and and to stay hidden from him, and but but for the oracle saying that which is lost must be found.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yep.
0: And that's what made it happen,
2: sort of.
1: Yeah. So he experienced uh, purgatory and heaven on earth,
2: <laughs> pretty that, much. I I you know I I would agree with that. I mean I I I want to I want to be car- I don't. I want to be really careful, Connie, because you know from our work on Dante. Dante going up the heavens and now this. Um, when, I, when I think I've told you all or suggested, encouraged all of you when you pray to imagine that person present to you. If you're praying to Mary, put her in front of you there. If you're praying to Christ, the Spirit, don't hold it at a distance because it just seems to me it keeps that reality. But however we picture Mary or Christ or you know the kingdom, it's got to be a million times more luminous and beautiful than anything we know here. Oh, right. right. So, um, I, I look at, you, all, you already know that I look at this as a paradisal moment. But um, in paradise, we go to see Christ first, and to God, the Spirit. I mean, that's, and then a whole world that's called into being there with them. And I, I don't know, I mean, could any artist grasp that? I I think Shakespeare's come closer than anybody I know except Dante and I think this scene captures wonder and uh, forgiveness better than even Dante Um, but how do you render a paradisal moment it's just but this gets as close to it as anything I've I've ever experienced in literature any last words Um, Anne? it's good to see you again Um, I'm glad you're here. I hope I hope everything's okay with you. Yeah. It is. Okay. Kay. Do something to get your audio. Would you tell David to get to put David to work here? Because I, <laughs> no, I, don't. I I don't want, I do not want to go without hearing your questions. You know what you're what you're thinking. So. Okay, so we take uh, two weeks off. Um. Um, we'll, we'll. when we get back together we 'll do the first chapter of c they 're all very short there 's three if any of you 've seen the book you know it 's very short three chapters, each of them is short and we 'll start when we come back with the first chapter of um, abolition of man c s Lewis's abolition of man um, i can 't recommend editions because i don 't know what 's available you know um, but search it online in Amazon or bookstores, and you, you should be able to come up with a copy. And then after we spend, I think three weeks, we'll do a, um, a chapter a week. We'll start G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, um, and let me ask this question. I don't want an answer tonight. Let me ask this question in advance um, of you guys. I really would like to hear your thoughts on it, but I'll, I'll wait until we come back in two weeks or two weeks break and then a third week. My question is this. Um, I was really glad to do the the scriptures Matthew and John and we're we're taking a break right now for a couple of weeks but we'll do Revelation when we come back. But Suzanne had a couple of interesting comments on on the classes because she was making the point that in doing scripture we're we doing what something everybody knows. Everybody's lived on scripture for you know the better part of your adult life or whenever, you know, I don't know how far your faith goes back. But it's it, it's interesting to deal to be doing works like that when everybody knows them because when we've done literature, very few of you know these works. So you're coming to them fresh, and lots of, and even if you've read them, like Mike, I I'm assuming Mike, correct me here if I'm wrong. When we read Moby Dick or Winters Tale or Hamlet or you name it in high school, we've not read it. <laughs> Just you know, if you pick it up when you're 30 or 40 or 50, that's going to be a very different book. But we've been, all of us, live with, on Scripture daily, weekly. You know, we hear readings weekly. So in going to the Gospels, we're going to be touching on things where all of you probably have settled convictions, definite ideas. Um, and I hadn't anticipated that, um, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's real. I think it's, it's, it's a fact. So I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about that. Um, because my plan was to take some time off to do expository stuff, um, ap- apologetics, um, abolition of man and Chester's Orthodox, and then go to scripture for a couple of months. And then pick up literature again for those who want to continue. Pick up Moby Dick mm-hmm. and maybe Scarlet Letter and you know a few other works. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on all of that if you have a response I'd be grateful if you would share it with me okay Um, Chuck I I hope Lori's okay oh she's fine good she's with her mom good yeah okay well it's good to see you all genuinely good Um, it's good to see you all Um, you all be safe for the next week we'll take two weeks off um, so when we come back all of you will have read "Abolition of Man," yes? <laughs> <God>. Yep. <laughs> okay. Keep I us in. S- comment. Sorry. What?
1: I was going to say one thing in Hamlet and in um, what we just read, they talk about rosemary. Yeah. If you have trouble with your memory, take some rosemary.
2: <laughs> really?
1: Yeah, Perdita. Yeah, Perdita. We just read about. It. She was talking about rosemary. Yeah. Instead of you- and so, and it was in Hamlet also, so. I wow.
2: love the sentry Wow. <laughs> I don't know what remember. Dr.
1: Bob has to say about that, but.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, you, you guys know I don't. I'll, I'll, what I know is when we do get together for dinner, Connie, I'm going to expect you to hand out flowers to everybody.
1: Yes, rosemary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys, um, keep us in your prayers. Keep each other in your prayers, and um, we keep you in our prayers, okay?
1: Thank you so much. You thank guys God. have a,
2: a good few weeks. Stay healthy, okay? Thanks. You so Bob. Bye. You. Bye. You. Bye.
1: Good night. That was Kay. Sorry, Doc. That was K at the end.
2: Did she say that? She said thank you.